Hello and good day, beautiful podcast family. What a privilege and honor to be with you again. I hope that wherever you are on this marvelous planet, you are doing extraordinary and I'm sending you all of my love, well wishes, good vibes, positive intents, prayers your way to you, your families and friends wishing you all the best. We have an absolutely outstanding show for you today. We have Dr. Francis Yaya on and we are talking about the seven gates and so much more. I'm going to go over some of the show notes because there is a ton. We talk about what metaphysics is, how she was born into a cult, the two types of values, uh, the number one law uh, in the universe, the three things you cannot change, the three types of karma, uh, the 12 truths on a spiritual path, the eight universal laws, the law of octaves, uh, the mahagunas, the inner war, the 12 archetypes, uh, the fourth way, the story of the holy grail, uh, the three, the personal TED talk. So this is so amazing because I just love practical tools for um, anything, spirituality, fitness, health, mindset, and this episode is ton of actionable practical steps so i know you're going to enjoy it and if you do please share it with your friends far and wide uh, leave a review like on subscribe on youtube instagram uh and tiktok uh tiktok's not censored yet so that's cool so some stuff is actually getting out there which is exciting um and just do whatever you can to support the show because censorship is crazy um you can go to mapbelair.com and become a member because they have deleted t- uh, patreon so there's donations there on the membership that if you want to contribute to the work that would be appreciated and as always the best way you can support this show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today and for those of you guys who are looking to make a difference in this world you want to move to clarity and power with living your life purpose Um, maybe you have a job but you want to go to a vocation or calling and you want to architect your life deliberately based on your highest values your truest and most authentic self hit me up at mattbelair.com forward slash coaching We can run you through one-on-one coaching, group coaching, or the Soul Compass program and the Quantum Heart Hypnosis, which is a very powerful series of hypnotic uh, audios that you can use to architect your life purpose, overcome fear, uh, overcome imposter syndrome, a lot of the um, challenges that we have with self-worth, abundance, and all these different things using the power of visualization, but coming from your heart, the most powerful part of who you are, the most authentic part of who you are. So it's using all the tools and strategies of visualization of hypnosis and all the esoteric knowledge and and combining in a very unique way. And you can also use those knowledge um, and skill set with these audios to just architect whatever you want. So when I was doing um, sports, uh, you know, sports hypnosis and extreme sports coaching and mindset coaching and sports psychology, we would make these for whatever they were doing, whether it was an Olympic gold medal run or, or whatever they wanted to do um, in their sport, we would architect a visualization for that. And what I found learning the law of attraction, all these other things, we use the same process, but we architect the life we want. So maybe it's a job, relationship, finances, travel, um, a vocation, whatever it is, you use those same tools. And that's what most people don't do. So it's a very easy and incredibly effective effective way to harness the power of visualization, of prayer, of thought, of esoteric knowledge, all in one spot. So if you haven't checked it out yet, um, there's some free audios at Quantum Heart Hypnosis as well. So check out the links on the website for that and um, just give it a try. It's a very powerful process. So that's it. Um, Let's wrap this up by coming into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in this world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. 
and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, coherence, power, connection, worth, clarity, faith, and get ready to enjoy this amazing episode with Dr. Francis Yaia. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. As you know, we are still facing extreme censorship. So if you want to support this show, please share episodes far and wide, leave a review in iTunes, or go to mattbelair.com and become a member by donation to support the show because they have deleted Patreon as well. Um, but the best thing you can do to support this show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is a licensed mental health counselor using Jungian techniques such as mythology, archetypes, and symbolism to help clients understand and transmute their subconscious wounds. She earned her PhD in mental health counseling and educational leadership from Barry University and has studied and taught metaphysics for over two decades. She is the author of The Seven Gates and Witch Bitch. She is also the president at Hidden Truths College of Metaphysics, Welcome to the show, Dr. Francis Yaihia. Thank you, Matt. Great to be here. Did I pronounce the name right? It was close-ish. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice to have you on the show. You know, I, I enjoyed looking through your work. Like you have a lot of experience and we're having a nice conversation before we start. You're very bright. Um, so there's a lot of things that we can cover today. The world is uh, very interesting. We're going through challenging times. So nothing better than uh, metaphysics and trying to understand our inner world and the outer world. So why don't we just start with a basic one? Uh, what is metaphysics to you and the, the metaphysical studies if people are going to go into that? So metaphysics is to explain the physical world, but what's beyond. So what's not kind of seen to the naked eye. So there are eight main universal laws. All truth is found in those eight universal laws. And if we understand those laws, then we can understand the actual physical world. So the shaman or the mystic is someone who lives bet between the worlds. So the physical world, the earthly consciousness, everything that's going on now, but uses the spiritual laws or the metaphysical laws to inform how they move in the world. So we're both states of consciousness at all times. So it's not isolated. Whatever's happening in the earthly world is always being informed by the higher planes of the universe. Amazing start. Well, you know, usually I, oh, every single episode I've ever done, I say, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. And I skipped that with the metaphysical question. I just want to know, but can you tell us uh, a little about your journey? Like, how did you get into this type of work? And we were talking a little bit about your own um, personal journey with writing books. You said you've written eight books and um, you're talking about a little bit of the path, you know, how you got there going through uh, depression and cancer and, and a really challenging time. So I'd love for you to talk about a little bit of your background first, and we'll dive into some of your, your work. Sure. So I was born into a cult and oh, my, <laughs> my history is my parents are Cuban. So it wasn't a cult originally. It's not uncommon for the Cuban culture to be in an Afro-Cuban religion, which is rooted in mythology. And when I really understood where I grew up and what I was taught, it helped me kind of use Jungian mythology and symbology and, and therapy techniques to, to create my own models. But I learned the most important thing in my childhood. My parents were the financial arm to the cult. So there's a spiritual arm, which was the, the cult leader, and my parents were the material arm. And when I really understood that this was the basis of everything, spirit and matter are always together, these two states of consciousness, 
I realized that I actually had the foundation that led me on this path. So I was there for about 33 years. I was forced into an arranged marriage with her nephew. I had little children and it dawned on me when they were babies that the cult no longer aligned with my values. And values is a huge part of the work that I do with clients. If you don't know your values, clearly, I'm not talking about, oh, I believe in honesty and integrity. I'm talking about really living your values. You're going to self-betray. And we have two types of values. Bad bucket values are like these deadly sins, vices, passion values. And that's okay. We need to know those. And good bucket values, what we would consider perhaps honesty, loyalty, integrity. So when I really sat down with myself, I was like, I do not want my children raised in this environment. This no longer supports my value system. And I left. And I went into a severe existential crisis. I was named after the spirit guide of the cult. This was all I knew. It informed every decision that I made. And all of a sudden, as many people that leave cults, you feel very unsupported in the world. And I didn't know how to live in the world without spirit. That was something that I had never been introduced to. So I went into a severe existential crisis. And one day in like a primal scream, I screamed out to the universe and I asked for a sign, an answer. And one of the books of the Kabbalah tradition fell off the shelf to a quote that changed my life. And it said, there is no coercion in spirituality. And I realized at that moment that I had only known coercion. I had not re really known spirituality. And that's really where my journey began. I found astrology, Akashic records, a bunch of spiritual techniques, tarot. I studied everything. I've been studying metaphysics basically since the day I was born, but really when I left at 33, heavily studying the universal laws, myth, symbol, every tradition, every divination technique. And one day I went for a reading and I left and I was like, this wasn't a very good reading. What I have in terms of my spiritual gifts is sufficient. And I realized at that moment that I was the teacher I had been looking for. And so really started the inward, inward journey. And it's what led me here. Now I got cancer back in 2016 and I had cancer for five years. And for three of those years, I was severely depressed. And I had gone through a divorce. My children had moved to college. I had lost absolutely everything. And I sat for three years trying to make sense of my life. And I realized really, really, really with all the studies that I had studied that I had created all of the mess, that I was solely responsible for every single thing that I was going through. And that was really the purpose of my depression. I think to really stop the clock and really do a life inventory of everything that had happened to me and how I was solely responsible for it all. And at that moment is when I got healthy. I woke up one day and I said, I, have, I don't have cancer anymore. I'm not depressed. I got off all my meds. I called my oncologist. I was cancer-free and everything changed. So all of the accumulation of knowledge finally became understanding, and more importantly, wisdom and application. And that's where I'm at now. Whereas before I taught and I would read and I would teach, now I live these truths. Now I live these teachings. It's a very different headspace when you're actually living these truths and walking the walk versus just talking it.
Wow. Well, that's an incredibly powerful story. And, and what I'd love to ask you is, you know, you talked about at the end there, just realizing that you created everything. So what's your perspective on, you know, so I've always thought that for us to be an awakened person, right? Somebody who's going to uh, be a creator in this world, a responsible uh, person that you need to take responsibility for everything, accountability for everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. So you're not resisting um, what's coming in and, uh, you know, so that you can respond to it, right? So if you're, you know, resisting that, oh, you're, you're got a heart condition because you're obese. Well, you know, if you look at yourself and you realize maybe you're not eating a great diet and you're not exercising, that way you can respond to the bad news that is kind of bad news because it's scary stuff. So for your story being so intense, you know, being uh, born in a cult and then getting cancer, do you feel like you created all of that to get to this next experience? Like, do you think that we create all of the the negative as well? Maybe like the universe is helping us grow through challenge in some sort of way, or do you think we're doing it to yourselves? Or what's your thought on that? Because I've because some people are uh, born into much more intense situations. You know what I mean? And that's it. Sounds like a pretty intense situation. <laughs> So yeah, there's a lot there. So let me start from the universal law perspective. There are eight main universal laws that dictate absolutely everything in the universe. The number one, the Mac daddy law is the principle of mentalism. And in a nutshell, it says all is mind. Everything is created by us with a level of consciousness, which is the life that we're living. So where do we get our level of consciousness? We cannot change our level of consciousness for the entirety of our lifetime. This is very important to understand. There are three things that we cannot change. This is an unchangeable nature. Like you cannot change your eye color or your height. You cannot change your impure thoughts. You cannot change your desires and you cannot change your low level consciousness. You inherit that at the moment of conception. Where do we get that? We get that. And if you don't believe it, that's fine. But we get that from previous karma. So there's three types of karma. There's something called Sanchitta karma. Think of it like the garbage bag of all your karma. In this lifetime, and this is in the myth of the fates, we are fated one thread of karma. That is it. That is called Prabha karma. That Prabha karma sort of uh, identified preconception determined what my life would be in this, in this lifetime. During our lifetime, we can also create karma, which is called agami karma. So if I'm weaving my life rooted in desires, low level consciousness and impure thoughts, it's going to be at that level of consciousness of the karma that I inherited at conception from previous things that I've done. That is sort of pre-conception. So I had an understanding that all of this that I created, the cult, the cancer, the divorce, all of it was my doing. Now, you said something important about taking personal responsibility, and that's actually my life mantra is TPR. Years ago, the first sort of psychic message that I ever received, I was married to the cult leader's nephew, and I was getting ready to leave him. I was in the shower, and I heard a voice. Back then, I wasn't a psychic. And it said, take personal responsibility. And I realized at that moment that everything was my fault. But because I had a self-destructive tendency, I looked at it as shame and blame, that I was responsible like in an unhealthy way. And I self-sabotaged, I self-betrayed, I self-destructed. 
when I really start to deconstruct the principle of mentalism, I realize, yes, I am responsible for everything. That means I have agency. And even though I cannot change my desires, my low level consciousness or my impure thoughts, I can transmute them. I can raise consciousness around them, shift my perspective. And that's really when my writing started. When I started putting uh, rules in place and writing programs to teach how to do that. And there are 12 very specific steps on how to take this unchangeable nature, accept it, integrate it, and raise consciousness around it. So we do have agency. The other thing that you said, does the universe sort of teach us lessons? And I know I paraphrase there, but I'm not a believer that the universe creates something for us so that we can learn and grow. I am a believer that, so I'm not a believer in the universe has your back. I'm a believer in have your own back and the universe supports you. So when I started having my own back, I'm not shame, I'm not blame. I'm simply being allotted the karma that I created for my low level consciousness in past lives and in this one. Then I can show up for myself differently. I don't any longer wanna change my impure thoughts, my desires and my low level consciousness. I just want to transmute that, live differently, make better choices from a place of free will, not subconscious programming. Then the universe now is responding and everything in my life changes. I have more agency than I want to give myself credit for. And I don't really like the terms, but the good and the bad. So the responsibility goes both ways. The number one thing I can tell you if you want to change your life, you have got to remove all inkling, all threads of victim. Victimhood serves nobody. Victims are seeking a savior. And that is the number one thing that will bring us all into our demise and the world why it is what it is. And so when we become agents of change, when we take full personal responsibility, not in the shame and a blame, just simply we didn't know better, and we eliminate the threads of victim, we will change our lives and in turn the world. Because the world is a direct reflection, if this law happens to be true, of everything in our thoughts. Our thoughts create all of it. The slavery, the homelessness, the poverty, all the things that you and I were talking about before recording. So if we change our thoughts, we change or, 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 or learn to control our desires, learn to transmute low level consciousness, then in turn, we can change the world. But it's an inside job. And it starts with releasing us, ourselves of victimhood because we're not. Wow. Well, I love everything you shared there, especially, well, there's a lot of great points, but the idea of like taking control or, or being responsible your, for yourself and then the universe has your back. It's, you know, there's a prayer like that too. It says, um, you know, like uh, a prayer works best with dirty hands or something like that. You know what I mean? You have to go do something and then you're supported. And, and this is even in sport. They say, you know, you have to be uh, good to be lucky. You know what I mean? The hardest mm. workers have the most luck um, because they've developed this skill and they put so much time, energy and focus and real world application to it. Then, then those forces kind of come into play. Um, not just by sitting there on the couch and, and waiting for someone to save you. And the victimhood thing is absolutely massive. And I feel like our culture and our education system really trains that in us, um, an outside authority and an outside savior, you know what I mean? And so these are archetypes that are 
pushed upon us that are really detrimental as we go get older. And if we can remove ourselves from that idea, then I think that's a really powerful thing. There's so many things that you, you brought up I want to touch on, but I want to make sure I get into this. You talk about the eight universal laws. Do you want to quickly go over what those are? Sure. And then I want to just highlight something you just mentioned about luck, because that's actually written in one yeah, of go the ahead. You can go ahead. We'll remember eight universal laws. So go ahead. So one of the main, this is the one that actually I live my life by. I live by all of them, but specifically this law, which is the law of correspondence. A lot of people would know if they've studied Jung, the uh, synchronicity, right? Um, nothing is an accident. Nothing happens by coincidence. So the law of correspondence states as above, so below, as within, so without. And so when you talk about luck, the actual law speaks that luck and chance don't exist, that that's just the law by another name. And when you talk about in, in sports or athlete or being lucky, if you put the hard work, that's actually a stoic concept of ascesis. Ascesis is someone that trains regularly. The thing is, for instance, in my case, I train my mind, I train my soul. I'm in a constant spiritual and sort of mind thought development, looking at what I'm thinking and putting out into the earth. But that's what that is. That is constant training known as ascesis in the spiritual or, or mental realms. And that's a stoic concept. So we have to understand that everything that we're experiencing externally is a mirror to what's internal. And everything that's happening in our earthly realm is a mirror to what's happening in the higher realm. So it's as within, so without, as above, so below. And there is no such thing as luck. It's simply the mirror. So the principle of mentalism, the Mac daddy of all laws, all is mind. If you don't know what you're thinking, I have a 12 truths on a spiritual path. The first truth is a truth of thought. Most people have no clue what they are thinking on a daily basis constantly. Therefore, they don't know what they're creating or who they're co-creating with. You don't know how to look at your impure thoughts. You don't know the explanation of why your world is the way it is, which is the second law, the principle of correspondence. Then there's the principle of vibration. Everything has a vibration. We are creating our world based on a low level consciousness that we got at the moment of conception that was sort of predetermined from past um, karma, and now we're living in this world. But we have a right to transmute that vibration and that consciousness. And Einstein said, you cannot solve a problem at the same level of consciousness or vibration at which it was created. And so if you want something in your world to change, then you need to know your thoughts, you need to understand your desires, your low level consciousness, so that you can individuate make free will choices on a higher level of consciousness. So all of these sort of interrelate. The law of polarity, the law of polarity and the law of rhythm, these two kind of work together. The law of rhythm speaks to seasons, right? Everything in the world is cyclical. You know, it's spring, summer, winter, fall. Every single thing in your life has a cycle. So for instance, if you use the Enneagram or if you, and I'm talking the mystical Enneagram or you use astrology, any of these patterns will tell you what is next in your life. If you're going through a spring, you'll have a summer, you'll have a fall, you'll have a winter. There is an order to your, your level of nonsense in your life. There's no surprise. If you know what you bought at the store this morning, you know what you're eating at dinner tonight. It's very simple in that math. So that's the law of rhythm. The law of polarity 
uh, parallels that. Think of a pendulum. The law states that the pendulum swing to the left is equal to the swing to the, to the right. So if I go into a three-year depression as I was, it doesn't mean that I'm going to live out a three-year hyper-happy time. What I'm saying is there's a parallel in how far the swing to the right is to the left. This will never allow us to achieve self-mastery. Self-mastery is only done what I call the 48 to 52, the Tao, the way, the midpoint. And so instead of swings, I'm so, so happy. I have such highs, I have such lows. When we learn to do a midpoint, then we can actually achieve self-mastery. And I can tell you that this uh, sort of piggybacks on the law of rhythm because the law of rhythm will give you what I call neutralizers, people or situations in your system that will help neutralize the swings of the pendulum. So how many is that? I'm, I don't know. I was, I was kind of getting uh, deep with each one. And this came from, this is uh, the Kybalion, right? From Hermes. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's one more that's not the Kybalion, which is the law of octaves. Oh, so okay. I did. Oh, then the law of cause and effect. Yep. So the law of cause and effect is karma, basically. So every action has a reaction. And this is important because we're not punished because of past deeds. This isn't like a punishment. This is simply linked to the law of vibration. If you had a low level consciousness and lived at a certain vibration, then when you die, okay, when you die, just like when we come in through our mother's uh, vessel, right? Through, through the, the, the womb, we leave through a womb. We leave through the, the, the cosmic womb. Well, how do you think we get to wherever we go. We need a body, just like when we came in through the mother. The thing is that instead of an earthly body, we have an astral body. If we do not build our astral body during our lifetime, then we can only sort of travel, if you will, think of like a rocket ship to lower planes in the universe. The more spiritual work, the more process work you do, the more or higher that sort of um, astral body is going to go. The higher the plane will indicate your karma in your next lifetime. It's all related. This is a cycle. This isn't stop. All we do is change this, right? So if I build my astral body in this lifetime, when I leave through the cosmic womb, let's say I get to the Akashic plane or the mental plane or the causal plane. Well, then I've done more work, so to speak. I've burned more karma. I have a higher vibration. Indeed, my next lifetime will be at a higher vibration. It'll still be work. I still have low consciousness. But now I have different experiences. And so there isn't, it's not like bad or good. It's just vibrationally what we need to learn. So this idea that certain circumstances are worse or better I'm not speaking in the earthly world. Obviously in the earthly world, there is a, a, a distinction. I'm talking about in the spirit realm, what our soul's journey is, what our soul's work is directly related to the law of vibration and the law of cause and effect. As we live our life, the process work we do here, the shadow work we do here will directly impact the plane of the universe we land on. And when we come back in to burn more karma, because we're all in the cycle of samsara. No, no one's stopping. 
Right. Wow. Well, that's that's incredibly deep. I, I appreciate the deep dive on all those. And, and the Kybalion is a really great work, uh, book if people want to check that out. Um, there's so much that you brought up there again. So when we're talking about, uh, let's say, transmuting, you know, the subconscious wounds is, uh, wounds is something that you work on, or, or I'll even co- talk about like limiting beliefs or things like that. Um, you notice the distinction between transmuting versus changing low level consciousness. So this is what you're suggesting is saying that my low level consciousness, my low level desires or the impure thoughts, they're going to be there, but rather than changing them, I'm going to transmute them by the choices that I make and say, Oh, they're there, but I'm not going to attach to them. And then, you know, go do those things. It's just like, uh, man, that guy's a, an a-hole i'm gonna go over there and punch him in the face i might have that thought um but the transmuting is you know what uh, i just i talked about this recently in one of the the podcasts is just saying like sending them blessings um but i said one that a, a person reached out about too saying like accepting things as they are and i'll just kind of for those of you who were listening to that podcast when i say accepting things as they are i feel like that's what we need to do it doesn't mean to make any evil okay it's accepting it and then responding to it. You still hold them accountable. You still do what you can when you're in that present moment, but you have to accept the situation for, for what it is because if you distort it or you change it, you're not going to be able to respond um, in a very powerful way. Just like my, you know, the, the stove starts to, uh, you know, go on fire and I hear the alarm or whatever, and I don't do anything, you know, the more I assess the situation for what it is, even if it is scary and, and crazy, the better I can respond to the situation. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that transmuting, because I think a lot of people get hung up on that, on, on judging other people or all these things that we're, we should or shouldn't do, you know, being perfect. It's like, how do I get to this higher level of being, or how do I transmute this self-sabotage or these negative thoughts or addictions to, you know, make a better choice. Excellent. So first let's talk about what is unchangeable. When we incarnate at the moment of conception, you get your limiting beliefs. You get your limiting thoughts. Those are your impure thoughts. Okay. At during pregnancy, you get an emotion attached to those thoughts. You have a preferred emotion. Mine was hopelessness. In birth, you get a body. Attached to that body is the impure thoughts, that emotional response, the desires, pride, greed, gluttony, lust, envy. That is unchangeable. All of that packaging is wrapped up in a consciousness level. The reason I say it's low level consciousness is because there's always room for improvement, always. And we'll talk about the law of octaves, which is another law, and that's not in the Kabbalion. But that is super important that that's our packaging. So why is this important? By the time you take your first breath, you already have absolutely everything you need to make your way in the world. You have your thoughts, you've got your desires, you've got your consciousness level, and you have a preferred emotion that's going to keep you in low level consciousness. That's it. All of us have that shared experience, regardless of our skin color, regardless of where we grew up, regardless of our parental situation. So that's a shared human experience. That is where I really work with clients. The story is attached to all of that from ages zero to seven and beyond. But if we can really understand that that is unchangeable in our nature, we're going to stop using all of our fire and energy to change what cannot be changed and actually change, which is the transmutation, what can change, which is free will, 
and it's choice. Very different than decision-making. Decision-making is based on that unchangeable nature. It's ego and personality driven. Free will is our fire. Free will is using our own thoughts, our own value systems, our philosophy of life, our rules for living to make choices that support us rather than betray us. What happens when we are making decisions or judging based on what is unchangeable is that we're living by subconscious programs and we're living by previous programming. It's not free will, it's not choice. We're on autopilot. So judging is actually a great thing. I have a sentence, judgments are confessions and they're great. One of the best things that I do with clients is ask their judgments. Every single judgment tells me what you value in your bad bucket values linked to your desires. So if you judge the way that someone looks, right? Oh, that person shouldn't be wearing that. That is linked to a vanity, for instance. I know that one of your bad bucket values, one of your desires attached to your body that's unchangeable is vanity. So why am I going to beat myself up because I'm vain? The myth of Hercules talks about riding the bull of desires. We don't want our desires to dictate our life. We want to control them. But to try to eliminate or hate ourselves and self-betray because we're vain or prideful or gluttonous is nonsense. And that's where most people spend all their time. This is how the shadow develops. So here I am vain. I'm going to put that away. I'm going to fragment that from my psyche. Now I'm going to live so humble. I don't care about my appearance. I fill in the blank. I'm going to pretend I'm not vain. That isn't integration of the psyche. That's living half a truth. That isn't reality. That isn't healthy. Eventually, that is going to surface as an illness or as a situation where you're going to be forced to look at that. So rather than hating ourselves for having impure thoughts, judgments, desires, and low-level consciousness, let's get comfortable with accepting that. That's what a lot of my work does. I have this process called a personal TED Talk. The personal TED Talk is that sort of uh, you know, um, script in your head. So once you identify that, then you can enter what we call individuation. What choice do I want to make? And you make a good point. You can send blessings, but you know what? Sometimes a sword fight requires you showing up with a sword and not a butter knife. And so if you show up to a sword fight with a butter knife, you're going to get massacred. That's not smart. Show up with the appropriate level of consciousness that the situation requires. And if it requires a little bit of fire, well, then take it out. And if it requires you pulling back, then pull back. And so we have this notion in what I call sticky note spirituality that we have to always show up in the higher person. We always have to send, no, no, not at all. And it is okay to absolutely to say to someone, you are not healthy for me. You are not safe for me. And I need you to leave my life. But law of correspondence, seriously live my life by this. Why did I allow that to enter my sphere of consciousness? Why did that person or place or thing or situation enter my life? What is it mirroring to me that I need to look at from my shadow? And that's the right way to transmute and raise consciousness. Don't think that the person's judgment's about them. What is it about you 
that at the level of vibration, you allowed that in. It's okay to say no to someone or ask for a refund or to get into an argument. Of course, it's two states of consciousness. Am I using earthly or spiritual state of consciousness? The sword fight requires the sword. So it's okay. The Bhagavad Gita talks about this. Krishna says to Arjuna, go fight the fight. The Old Testament talks about a wrathful God. This idea that we have to show up high consciousness all the time, nonsense. No spiritual text said that. It's walking the world, unified consciousness. When do I use low level consciousness? From childhood, right? From, from the moment of conception. And when do I show up with higher consciousness on free will and learning to discern which one is which in which situation? That's how you transmute. That's how you raise consciousness. That's how you walk a spiritual walk. Not pretending that you're manifesting and the universe is supporting. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Choice. Based on your values, your rule book, and your philosophy of life. So you know why you're standing up for yourself and when it's appropriate to pull back. And we haven't been taught this. It's almost like we have to spend so much time on the unchangeable because it's so, so wrong. No, that is a result of our previous lifetimes and previous karma. Accept that and with that, now move forward in the world and make a difference. Wow, I love all that. And I, I couldn't agree more because I interview and, and I read a lot of the new you know, spiritual ideas and philosophies. And we're, we were talking about uh, this a little bit before. Um, you know, there's the idea right now is just like the acceptance of everything, right? It's like, oh, you accept as it is like that's it's partially true like you know but it doesn't mean that action's not required so you know like if i go across the street and, and a man is beating the piss out of like i don't know a child or you know a woman i'm going to go do something it's reality is what it is i'm going to address that situation then i'm going to go help because assertive action needs to happen by addressing you know what's happening and so you're talking about even like the responsibility, right? The law of correspondence is like, okay, how do I, you know, what's the level of consciousness or what's the level of response necessary for the situation that I am in? So you're still taking accountability and responsibility, but it's not always this uh, nice idea. And somebody was uh, on a show before was kind of talking about that because we started to get into the Bible. And like you said, um, in the Bible, in the Bhagavad Gita, and even in all the other cultures, there's this warrior culture. And that's why uh, my thought process has been a little bit different than some of the, um, you know, spiritual teachers that I listen to or follow, because there's like this time of action where, you know, it's necessary. And in studying uh, the, the, a little bit of the school of Satan or whatever the heck it is, Luciferianism, they depend on you kind of ignoring the evil, just letting it go, not addressing it and addressing it firmly. Like, uh, I don't know if a person, you know, goes down the street and says, you know, I don't know, Hey, I don't like you. That's okay. But if a person is coming at me, like you said, with a sword, you know what I mean? That's going to be a whole different level of consciousness and reaction. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to respond to that. And so we have those, um, micro, micro and, and, and bigger situations in our life where that's going to require a bigger response. So everything you just said, I'm kind of butchering it right now on my own rant, but you so know, I think- let me address a few things that you sure. mentioned. First of all, how do you act? Because people will ask me, well, how do I know how to act? If you don't know your values, you don't know how to act. So one of the things I challenge clients is top two values, not family. So what are your top two values? It does not include family. You need to define them in observable and measurable terms. 
If you do not know that, you will not know how to act. I'll give you an example. I had a client this morning whose son has supposedly some, some genetic issue. We kind of know that it's nothing. This woman's number one value system is health and her children, which we're saying not family, but health. So if she does not act and take him to the doctor, that self-betrayal to her value system will come out later in another health instance. So when we broke it down on how to act, how to make a choice, we have to know our values. And people, I mean, I get the deer in the headlights look, like what does that mean, my values? So I said this before, you have bad bucket values or, or vices and sins and passions, and you have good bucket values. The bad bucket values are linked to your desires that you cannot change. Mine are pride and gluttony top two, but we have all of the deadly sins, right? <laughs> so when Francis prideful and glutton shows up, I have to check that. I just have to make sure I'm riding those desires and they're not taking over, but I can't change them. I'm not going to hate myself and stay stuck because I'm gluttonous. No, I'm going to still move forward. However, my, my good bucket values are spirituality and leadership. And when I need to make a choice, I'm going to check in with my spiritual philosophy that I very cleared out measurable, observable terms and leadership. I have a whole model of leadership. That's going to indicate how I show up. Do I show up with the sword? Do I show up turning my head? That's going to decide how I use my fire. That's transmutation. Transmutation, fire is the only element we have control over. So I use the appropriate fire for the appropriate situation because I know my values. You do not know your values. You're not acting accordingly and you're self-betraying all the time. This is a very key thing. The other thing you use is if someone's beating a kid or a woman, right? You're gonna go and act immediate. You're probably checking in real quick that this is not okay. You know, this person shouldn't be beating a child. I'm going to go and help them. However, law of correspondence, why did Matthew bring that into his sphere of consciousness? Where are you beating yourself? Where are you the bully? Where are you beating maybe your feminine? Where are you beating your inner child? Of course, the, 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 the metaphors and symbolism and myths is because the universe and the subconscious is not literal. So that's why I extrapolate the woman or the child being beat, where do you beat up perhaps your feminine or your inner child? And if something shows up in your external world and you fail to bring it back in to see what your shadow is showing you, then you've missed the boat. So we've got to look at our values and then we have to bring it back to self and say, what is it showing up? The third thing you mentioned was the time to act or the time like in Luciferianism, oh, don't engage with the evil. The evil is our self. The evil is our shadow. The evil is our bad buckets. The evil is the things that are fragmented in ourself that we have yet to integrate. And we wanna pretend that someone else has, but we don't have. So again, law of correspondence. Are you familiar with the Mahagunas? No, that's new for me. So the Mahagunas are from Ayurvedic philosophy in the Vedas, and they're the three energies of the mind, okay? Sattva is truth, or like neutral balance. Rajas is action, and Tamas is inertia. We have all three, and our mental energies are constantly cycling, like this, the, the, the law of rhythm, with these three Mahagunas. 
So there are times that it is appropriate to act rajas. There's times it's appropriate to be inertia and laid back. Like when I was depressed, what could I do? I was in total tamas. And there are times where I have to seek truth or neutralize, which is sattva. And astrology, the mystical Enneagram, these, these universal laws speak to when is an appropriate time to use which mental energy. And so we need to learn how our psyche works. One of the things I do with clients is explain, like for instance, in this client today, I said, well, if you don't show up for your son and, and health being your number one value system, it will show up later in something else because you need to prove to yourself mentally, that's part of your value system subconsciously, that you're a good mother or that health is a value and your psyche will make you pay up. So when you learn to see how your mahagunas, how your mental energies work, then you have, I call this psychological musical chairs, then you could get ahead of it and know exactly when to act, when not to act. But of course, always knowing your value system and your philosophy of life. And this is what is, is not really broken down and explained in a lot of this, this new age literature. It's, it's a lot of sticky note spirituality fluff. Like this is hard work, a spiritual hard work, spiritual renewal. Every day you have to opt to choose to work on your soul. Every day, this is not gratuitous. Every day. So not acting or not doing this sort of depth of work is, it's just very misleading to people. And, and that's really my greater mission is to spread real spiritual teaching and have people not have reliance on gurus and teachers and cults because it goes back to the savior complex. If I'm a victim, I need a savior. You need a temporary teacher, perhaps, but the answers are in you. They've always been in you. When I understood that I was the teacher I was looking for, that I needed to write the books that I needed, that's when I, my cancer went away, when I found contentment and I balanced my life. That's what we should be teaching people, not the fluff that's being proclaimed. <laughs> well, I, I totally agree with you. And uh, over the last like 10 years of being in this, uh, well, even longer, actually. Wow, I'm old now. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, that's a while, like, geez, like, tw- like, I've always been curious about it. But you know, I'd say in, in, you know, my early 20s, it started to pick up and then 30s, like it just all of a sudden exploded. And yeah, like a lot of fluffy spirituality, a lot of new stuff, because I really enjoy the topic and the discussion and the philosophy and just noticing a lot more, but a lot less wisdom than in the older books, right? In the older books, it's always a battle. Like when I read the Bhagavad Gita, I was surprised that the whole thing was about, uh, you know, going to war with your own community. And he's like, I don't want to shoot people with a bow and arrow. Right? He's like, well, you know, and we go through the battle. And I was like, this isn't really intense. And if you look at our world, it's a very intense place. You brought up so many different things. So I want to kind of address a few. When we talk about fire, that inner fire, I see that as like the will. We only have a certain amount of energy throughout the day. So um, it could be like the matrix where you go and you're on autopilot and the matrix in the outer world, or by default gets all your energy. You stare at a screen, you do all things that you don't want to do. And then there goes your spiritual energy. There goes your life force, essentially, all through distraction or something like that. And you can choose to direct that spiritual energy. And I feel like that's really important. And with your distinction, it's so such a 
simple and powerful process to, to not try to get rid of the things of us that we don't like, the parts of us we don't like, just to accept them that they are a part of us. Just this is a part of me, but it doesn't mean I need to act on that. You know, it doesn't mean that I need to give it energy or inflame it. I'm just aware that it's a part of me. It's a desire that arises, but I'm not going to choose that. I'm going to choose um, this higher desire of who I want to be, who I want to create. So it, it removes all this, like, how do we scalpel it out and remove it? So I feel like, um, that's really powerful. So I, I was curious about when, um, and, and it, oh, yeah, one quick truth to what you're sharing. You know, I was always doing martial arts as a kid. And every time that my friends would go to a bar and we went to a bar a lot in our college and university days, every time someone got in a fight, I was never there. Not once. I was never, ever, I was, I was training martial arts all the time. I was doing it, but I never, cause I don't want to fight people. I want to fight people in the gym because I want to know how good I am. And I appreciate it as an art form, but on the street, it's a totally different thing. That's not, that's dangerous. You know, a lot of bad things can happen real quick um, that you don't want to do, you know what I mean? And, but to defend yourself and all that stuff is really fun, but it's a martial art. It always, it never happened. You know what I mean? So it's such a curious thing. I was like, come on, like, <laughs> no, I'll totally address that. Let me address the, the will first. So if we spend all of our fire, let's, I, I use 10, one to 10. So when I work with clients about conflict, we use the numbers one to 10. So if nine or 10 of your energy is focused on changing the unchangeable, then what you're doing is you're letting the ego and the personality direct your life. If you're going to always have some ego and personality, you can never overcome that. Does yes. that count as like wanting to change the outer world, like the world as it is? Because that's one of the things I was addressing, right? Like, like, I don't like war. I don't like starvation. I don't like the stuff that's going on. And it's focusing my energy there, yes. but I can't change. I want to push the button. You know, that's yeah. kind of what it's you putting cannot, in my face. You cannot change the outer world without changing the inner. That's the point of the Bhagavad Gita and the Odyssey. Mm. So I'll get to that in a second. So if your 10 energy or eight out of 10 is you. Hopefully it'll stay with us. Okay, so I don't know what part you heard, but if your ego and personality is running the show, all of that fire is basically to cover up what you cannot change. Think of the purpose of why the ego and the personality is created. It's created as a veil to cover up that you have a desire, that you have a shadow, that you have a low level consciousness, that you have impure thoughts, right? It's validation needs. So if the will is directing the show, so out of 10, let's say six, seven, eight, is purpose-driven divine will, then the ego and the personality sort of join the train and they're part of it because you do need an ego and personality in the world, but the soul or the will or the purpose is leading the show. That's gonna lead you to transformation, transmutation, using your consciousness and not feeling burnout. So burnout and stress, they're both linked to narcissism. And I don't mean narcissistic personality disorder, and I'm a trained therapist. I'm talking about narcissistic injury and narcissistic tendency. We all have. There are people that are driven pain as pleasure. We, I say we, because I was that. Those people tend to live in the higher chakras, very social justice warrior type of thing. We want to change the world. And we tend to have burnout. And then there are tribal narcissists that are, the other ones I call transcendent narcissists. And then tribal narcissists live in the lower chakras, much more self-centered, desire, passion-ridden, money, cars, sex, things like that. 
Either one, that one leads to stress. Either one is ego and personality driven. The midpoint is the third chakra, which is self-worth, which is the fire chakra, the Manipura chakra, which is the element of fire. So when we're in that third chakra, we're not trying to change anyone. We're not trying to take someone's fire. We're not giving away our fire. We're not trying to stress and burn out. We are working internally. You cannot change the world, the slavery, the war, the crime, homelessness, poverty, any of it, if you're not checking in with your inner war. The Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna is at war with himself. The family, that's why I say you cannot have a top two value system, family. Family is never part of your value system. Why? Because family is always low level consciousness, always. So when Krishna says to Arjuna, you have to go fight your uncle on the battlefield, all he's saying, it's a metaphor, go fight your low level consciousness, go make free will, go make choices on your purpose, on your divine will, not on the things that you cannot change. That's called the mass consciousness. Jesus called it the wide door in the Sermon of the Mount. We need to choose the narrow door, the consciousness that is higher, the consciousness that is harder to attain. That is the decision every single day to see what you're judging and what it reflects in you. Why you invited something into your sphere of consciousness. Why you're having a problem with a situation in the world because it's happening in your head first. That's the way you change the world, not externally. That's narcissism. So I, I'll tell my clients that are like environmentalists, the only way to clean up the environment is your thought, your desire, and your consciousness. It starts internal. Then your external world is going to match your new consciousness level. Then things will begin to change. It's not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. But we think that if we change the outside or we're the poster or social justice, that we're going to make change. And it's not. And so we are the ones polluting the earth with our impure thoughts, desires, and low-level consciousness. And this brings me to one of my favorite myths, which is one of the Herculean myths. There's a Herculean myth of the brood-eating mares or the man-eating mares. And Hercules is told to go to the countryside and collect these mares, these horses that are destroying the world. He collects them. And then he hands them to his friend Abderus. And Abderus holds them and he goes off to take care of something. When he gets back, Abderus is dead, trampled, and the horses are all over the place. And he has to pick them up all over again. Abderus represents the personality and the ego. If you hand over your thoughts, so to speak, to your ego and your personality, you're gonna be trampled over and over and over again. When Hercules took over, it was his will that led the show. But what the mares represent are the thoughts in our head. If you do not know the truth of your impure thoughts, you can change nothing. And the world is a, a reflection of your impure thoughts. So what slavery or what crime or what war you want to change first has to happen in you. And then you could be an advocate for society. It's not the other way around. And we want to believe it's external, but principle of mentalism states, all is mind. It's all happening here. Odysseus, same thing. He had to go fight the war. 
every single warrior in any sacred text tried evading the war. Odysseus shape-shifted. He said he was sick. He told the gods he couldn't go. Cough, cough, cough. Arjuna didn't want to fight. But you have to fight. You have That's part of the low-level consciousness. You have to recognize the shadow, the hydra, the demons that are in you. Then you check in and you go, oh, I have choice. I have free will. I have a higher purpose. I can transmute. Then you can return home and then you can change the world. But it's not the other way around. And we're just misguided that way. Well, I think that's a really powerful perspective. And I want to dive in a little bit more because I think it's such an important topic. Uh, you know, so and I and I I'm curious about the ideas of, of these things. So, you know, if somebody is has done their inner work, you know, maybe the experience of the outer world will, will not be as challenging. Like one example is I had uh, somebody in my coaching group come in and uh, you know, the, the mandates went around and he didn't want to take the, the shot. So he just quit his job and he ended up having a, you know, he just let that happen and then ended up having three, four month vacation, a very beautiful experience and they hire him back, um, you know, without a lot of sweat. So it's like, okay, it's a challenge and still lost a job. Um, but then the experience was not so bad because of his level of consciousness from his level of acceptance. Um, then you got situations like people who, you know, are having their kids go through school and, and in Canada and some other places really bad. So it's happening and people are architecting these things in the outer world, but how do how do you perceive the the outer world for like when it when like these different communities have more challenging things like for example uh, some of the Native Americans that I've worked with right they had really challenging situations that came to their hometowns and I'm just always curious because I only have my one perspective so you've got like the simulation theory and you've got all these other ones of like this realm and how you navigate it that's all you you have but the outer world always seems to be chaos it always seems to be war and famine and all these different things they're outside of you and you can care about them. So how do I, how do I merge those two worlds? From what I heard you say, it's like empower yourself, know yourself um, and understand, clean up your inner world. Then you can respond and create harmony within your own existence. But uh, you know, if it comes into your realm, like, so for example, the public school here, not so great, but if you are empowered and you are educated and you're responding, you can create a different education for your family. You can create a different revenue. You can create something where other people are experiencing chaos and you're going to be okay. And I know a lot of people doing that right now facing similar uh, things. Um, so is that somewhat of what you're saying? Because my thought is like these bigger issues, they've always bugged me, you know, and I'm like, how, you know, do we get to a point of humanity where we can be peace? Like, why don't we have peace? You know, so like I said, why do we not have peace on earth? Why, you know, just basic stuff, like just stop mass murdering each other. You know what I mean? And now it's even getting worse, you know? So, you know, so like, I want to push the button, but I know what you're saying at the same time. So what do you think? So I want to first address why you were never at the bar fight. Okay. And then I'll segue into this. There are 12 archetypes and everything is categorized in the world into 12 archetypes. The archetype of the warrior of martial arts and the bar fight is the archetype of Mars or Aries in Greek mythology. If your energy of the warrior of Mars or Aries is at the dojo, you can't be at the bar fight. You already exhausted that archetype. Lucky you. <laughs> so that's why. So I have this, um, it's kind of like the rule of life that I play with clients in terms of the archetypes in their head. So if you have a trickster archetype at work 
or if you have a, um, a Chiron or a Hephaestus archetype at work, how that mirrors back to you. There's, there's 12. So in that case, if that Aries archetype is already energetically taken up, you can't be over here. So that's why also knowing our archetypes and what energy is speaking will tell you why people decide the things they do or, or how they live the life that they live. So something we see a lot in spirituality is the seeker archetype. The seeker archetype is Zeus or Jupiter. The thing is that the seeker archetype has no roots. The seeker archetype is never satisfied because every archetype has a shadow. The seeker archetype thinks the grass is greener the seeker archetype is never satisfied and is constantly hopping, hopping, never becomes the sage, which is to stop like I had to do and say, oh, what I have spiritually is great. And I had a seeker archetype because I was hopping, hopping, hopping until I said, wait, I have what counts. And then I, I use that to, to do the sage archetype. So we have to know what, what archetype we're sort of living. So to answer the question of peace, peace cannot exist on earth. It's absolutely impossible because if every single person on earth is here to burn karma and transmute consciousness from low consciousness to high consciousness, this mother earth is not a place for peace. And I'll bring you to a myth, classic myth, uh, father sky, Uranus and mother earth Gaia, they were married. So heaven and earth were married. What would happen every time that Uranus or, or Father Sky and Mother Earth had children, Uranus would take his child and shove it into Mother Earth. Why? Classic tale of ever. Every Greek god was told they were going to be dethroned by their child. And nobody wants to get dethroned. So Uranus was like, I'm not getting dethroned. Gaia has a baby. He shoves the baby into um, the earth. The earth is the vehicle, as is our physical form, the chalice, when we transmute, for pain, for bloodshed, for war, for crime, for burials. Mythologically, it's impossible because it's always a fight between heaven and earth. And so that's the first myth. That's why there cannot be peace on earth. And so human beings cannot burn karma cannot transmute consciousness unless they're in a body. This is why trying to have a, a shadow, ignore a shadow, trying to pretend you don't have desires, trying to pretend you don't have sins and bad bucket values is nonsense because it is in spite of having a flawed form that you still have a right to have a sacred vehicle, a vessel that houses the dwelling, which is your soul, which is the spirit, which is the divine. So if we spend all this time trying to purify and harm our body because it's flawed, we've missed the point. Then you have the other extreme. I only want transcended experiences. I'm gonna do ayahuasca. I'm gonna meditate. I'm only gonna live in the divine. It's nonsense. You can't transcend the form. The form is the only space where we can burn karma and transmute. We have to live in the body like Jesus, like Buddha. What was the Buddha story? He, di he didn't want to eat. He wanted to reach enlightenment and not eat. And one day he's like, damn, if I don't feed my form, I'm going to die. I'm not going to get enlightened. Same thing. 
you have to feed the form. You have to acknowledge your desires. You need to eat and have sex and go to the bathroom and sleep. Nonsense. You cannot transcend, burn karma, or raise consciousness outside of the body. So that's why presence and embodiment practices and shamanism, which is a real strong embodiment practice or, or practice is so important because it reminds us that even though the vehicle and the vessel is flawed, it's still the home of the, the dwelling of the soul of the God within. So that is why we cannot have peace on earth, but people try to harm this when this is the answer to the world peace. The second thing, what's going on in the world is the oldest mythology of all time. Chaos and freedom versus safety and security. Uranus versus Saturn. This is it. The Titans, Uranus ca is castrated by his son. Uranus is freedom, chaos, I want no rules. Saturn castrates him, his testicle drops into the ocean. And that's the answer to what's going on. And you use the word merge. So if Uranus is chaos and freedom at all costs, then you've got the other side of the fence, which is safety. Saturn or Kronos is limitation, safety, security, rules, uh, restriction, and limits. So you're on one side of the fence or the other. The byproduct of that myth is Aphrodite, is Venus, is love. There's no way to solve the problem on this earth if first you don't have desirous love or Aphrodite pandemia, which comes from the second chakra, then Aphrodite or, or third chakra self-love, and then most importantly, Aphrodite urania that comes from the fourth chakra, which is love for the other. And now let me give you an additional layer to that. If you do not individuate, use your fire appropriate, learn your values, choose free will on your choices. You can never be of service. They're opposite on the spiritual path. One is the truth of the fifth truth of individuation that then serves the truth of service. So you have to individuate, love yourself before you can ever learn to learn to love another. And so what's going on now is the classic mythology of the beginning of time, Uranus versus Saturn. Who's going to win? None of us are going to win if we don't learn to have some love or compassion or empathy and realize that everybody is losing. And the only way forward is Venus. Wow. Well, I love all that and agree and, and think it's a very powerful uh, frame, you know, and I think what you're saying is 100% accurate for how we move through what's going on. And I love the uh, the idea of this being like the oldest battle, the oldest archetype battle in the world. And it makes total sense. And it's interesting. All these stories are archetypes and they have all these themes in them and they're 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 always applicable to where we are in the world and with what's going on. Um, one thing I was curious about with all this stuff is, you know, when you were depressed, right, and just sitting there on the couch, and from what you know now, would you have changed that? Could you have coached yourself to get out of it? Do you just sit in the depression? And like, with that kind of idea, like, how do we get into like inner peace? Because I know a lot of people are struggling. They go through these these times of addiction, or they go through times of depression and anxiety. And do you think like that serves a, a moment in time, or can can what you've learned, like, would have it helped you out a little bit or was it necessary? And then how do we move to like 
inner peace and guiding our lives? It's kind of like two questions like, okay, we know all this stuff. Well, how do we guide our lives? And my thought is like uh, being aware, uh, evolving my consciousness and my state of being and contributing to the whole, to, to humanity and, and aligning myself with nature and good justice and all these different things um, in a meaningful way. And so like honoring myself. And I think a lot of what you're talking about too is knowing yourself and knowing yourself also means knowing those parts of you uh, that you don't quite like, that aren't quite perfect, you know, and if you uh, try to shut them out, it's going to create a response that you don't want that's not authentic either, you know, and not being who you are. And, and that seems to be something I would say 90%, 80, 90% of people do. They don't accept those things. So they end up having this rebound and creating a life that's still off, um, trying to take away these shadow parts of yourself. And that's the law of polarity doing the exact same thing of this low level consciousness desires and impure thoughts, right? Oh, I just surrender to the fact that I'm whatever, or I'm going to do the exact opposite and hide the shadow aspect and try to do the exact opposite of it. It's the same. I call that child. It's really when we're in the midpoint that 48 to 52, that's self mastery what the spiritual text calls self mastery or the midpoint which like, is the integration, like, or to use your word, the merging of the light in the dark or the safety and the freedom or whatever archetypes you, you feel comfortable with. this mean kind of like an equilibrium where you like you, like I've heard one of these ideas of enlightenment is if somebody gives you an insult or a compliment, you remain, un, it's the same thing, right? So as things happen in the outer world, you're able to keep, uh, you know, like an equilibrium rather than getting too fired up. Yes, so the Kabbalion states there are no high highs or low lows. And so it's exactly that. The Tao, the way, in my model, it's a 48 to 52. It's also called equanimity um, in this middle ground, whatever this is. It's maintaining, because in remember I told you that in pregnancy you were given an emotion. That emotion, in my case, was hopelessness, kept me from making good choices, free will, and using my fire. So we use emotional immaturity, we use emotional reactions, fight or flight responses rooted in emotion to keep us from adulting, keep us from neutralizing, keep us from this middle way. So when we start to release that emotion and start to make better choices based on our fire, our free will, our values, we no longer need to attach to that emotion. What is the purpose of the emotion? The purpose of the emotion is to feel that we are part of a tribe. Transgenerationally or generational trauma is attached to an emotion. It is the emotion that makes you feel part of the tribe. So if the emotion is addiction or the, the, the hopelessness of addiction or codependence, if the emotion is worthlessness because your family is, is abandoned and, and there was adoptions or whatnot, whatever your trauma is, it is encapsulated in an emotion. When you start to release that emotion, what happens in the psyche is, oh my God, I don't feel part of a tribe. So that's why we hold on to that so, so desperately. That's what happened in my depression. Now with what I know now, knowing that I can do this differently, knowing that I have other options, using the wisdom rather than just the knowledge, no, I wouldn't want to go through that again, obviously. But that brings a good point. And I, this is what I love about astrology. Every archetype or every planet has four levels of consciousness, two low level and two high level. So two sort of the sword, anger, wrath, 
and two, turn the other cheek compassion, right? Depending on which we're going to use per the situation. When I look at an astrology chart and I see somebody is going to go through a rough time archetypally because of planetary movement, I provide options. You can live it out X, Y, Z. In my case, cancer, divorce, losing my hair through chemo, losing my hat. I lost all of it, right? I mean, talk about drama. Or I can live out a higher version of that consciousness of those archetypes. We have that choice as humans. Are you going to um, always know to choose the higher consciousness? No, that's part of, of having a teacher perhaps or getting a reading. Um, now with the knowledge that I understand about archetypes and knowing that I have a choice, I have to live something out because the planetary cycle sort of um, awakens that in me, right? I have to live at a Pluto or a Mars or whatever the planet indicates. I get to choose with my level of consciousness how I'm going to live that out. So I'll give you an example. I had a client the other day. She's going to have a very strong Pluto transit. And I asked her in her last one, what had happened? Her daughter, she had had a postpartum depression, left her daughter in the park, an infant. The, the cops came, um, found her, took her to the hospital. So there was like hospital, there were cops, her daughter and her. These are the players in the story. The players in the story are always going to be the same but what they do can be different. That is our choice. So when she has this in a year or two, if she does this inner work, I said, you can have your daughter end up in a hospital, let's say a mental institution, or you can have a security guard taking her to her dorm on campus. Same players, mother, daughter, a security guard or a police. So we get to choose how the story unfolds. So it's the same thing I said earlier, what you buy at the store for in the morning is what you're gonna eat for dinner. If you have bread and cheese, you can make grilled cheese or you can do something else. I don't cook, so I don't know what else you could do with bread and cheese. You know, So you get to decide how it's going to play out based on your level of consciousness. And that is part of the work that you do in the process work, shadow work and inner work. So the archetypes are the archetypes, but because they have different levels of consciousness, we get to choose how dramatic or how harmful or whatnot is going to happen. When I was on the couch, I learned this isn't personal. The Pluto was coming and it was going to affect my Mars. That's it. There were a gazillion other people on the planet that had my same birthday that were living that same thing. Not everybody got divorced and cancer and lost their house and lost everything, right? So the planets aren't personal. They're just doing their rhythm. They're just doing their cycles. It was my consciousness, it was my self-hatred, it was my values that dictated how I lived it out. So if I had a similar thing now, I would hope, and that's just a hope, because I don't know, that I would show up differently, that I have learned enough to show up differently in a higher level of consciousness for that archetype. But to believe that we're not going to get affected is, is it's just unrealistic. This idea that we're, we're going to turn the other cheek and nothing's going to happen, that we're, everything's, you know, zen, it's just, it's not reality. We're humans with low level conscious desires and thoughts. Like we really have to like understand that we're human. Another thing with the new age is all this idea that you're a reptile, that you're this from another planet. You're a human guy, like just accept it like everybody else. But it's the narcissism in ourselves that we want to be so different and so special. You are special. 
Your story, your soul is special and comes to only do what you could do. But within the human experience, just like everybody else, like a lot of this has gone whack, really whack. Wow. Well, that was, yeah, <laughs> sorry, that, I go. I, I get very emotional. <laughs> I, 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 well, I totally hear you. I because I've you know gone through the festival scene of like Burning Man and a few festivals here and there. And, you know, there I always wanted to just see what worked. You know what I mean? And you could also see trends of of certain things that would happen. You know, and and like I want to know if the technique will have an effect if it will produce the de desired result. And so there's definitely a lot of things out there that don't really work and they don't really have a lot of substance, um, but the pursuit is good. You know, the pursuit is, is a positive thing. And, and I, I'm, I totally resonate with everything that you're sharing about uh, this life and how we navigate it. And, and, and I feel like it's really spot on because there needs to be an addressing of the negative, right? We are in a polarity, there's positive and negative. And so if we don't learn how to address that, and it's not, you know, you know, some people would say, you know, you go right into the negative. I had one friend who had a teacher that was just like, focus only on the negative. And I was like, yo, there's like, yeah, you, you get the negatives there, but shit, man, you can stay there all day. And one right. of the questions, you know, and I, and whenever I hear a philosophy, because I don't know, and I believed all kinds of stupid shit, and I probably believe stupid shit right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, but, but what I'm doing is I'm seeking the truth and I'm exploring and, and even it's like, you know, yeah, maybe this is plausible. You know, here's a good idea. It could be, you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Um, the commitment is to the truth and it's to know myself. And that's the, that's the intent that I have. And I feel like that's really important. Um, I'll tell curious. you one thing about the truth, because I say it's either universal truth or it's your value or it's the truth or it's your truth. Mm. The truth is consistent across every religion, every tradition, every sacred text. Those eight laws, we didn't finish the last two, which is octaves and law of gender. Those eight universal laws you can find in every single religion, dep depending on how the human took it and the man took it to distort it. The root of the religion, of the sacred text, of the philosophy is tied into those truths. And you can find it over and over and over. My models work because they are all built on those truths. You may not like the way I say it, but the truth is there. And if you pull back the veils, those truths have to be there. It has to be consistent across time, place, century. If those things are there, then those are universal truths. Does it matter the language or the color or the myth or the story that the person is packaging? And if you really take a lot of these newer philosophies, they're missing out on that. Like everything can't be, you know, high vibes and positive vibes and toxic positive. I mean, it's just not realistic. That's just not a universal law. So you need to look at the negative, but of course you need to look at the positive too, because like you said, it's a polarity. So I spend a lot of time. I have this thing called the personal Ted talk. I spent a lot of time in my program teaching people the personal Ted talk because the minute that they could really identify the personal TED talk, they realize that every single situation that's negative on a scale of one to 10 is infused with impure thought, desire, and low level consciousness. And then from there, they can make the choice to either stay there and wallow in pity and, and make a bad choice, or they can individuate and make a better choice with their fire in their purpose, divine will, and soul purpose. So that knowing what is unchangeable is the negative or the dark 
and the shadow that a lot of people don't want to spend time on, but it is important, but it's not all of it. There's a lot of light and good and, and, and movement forward from that too, but that is a very important part of it. And if we don't understand that, then we don't understand a lot of the other truths that, that come out of certain traditions. And unfortunately, a lot of these texts are metaphysical and they're written in symbolism and they're not written to easily be deciphered. And I've spent my entire life deciphering sacred texts for this reason. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. And you know, I remember one one of the clients I was working with, it, the she's like, I'm only gonna do what it what's an F yes. And so I thought about it for a second and I was like, mm, bullshit, you know, and for me it was martial arts and sports because I thought it was like, all right, all the best athletes that I know are training someone is like, if they're only going to do what an FES is, could they have achieved those results? And I'm like, no, that wouldn't work. And even just taking the time, like if you're hearing these ideas is to roll them around in your own consciousness. That's the most important thing is to take time to reflect on them, write them down, contemplate, see if it's true for you, see if it's true in the observable uh, environment, be your own. Own, um, a savior, you know, be your own teacher. And uh, I, was, I was working with a client, you know, a couple of weeks ago and was thinking about things and she's gone through all the spiritual practices that she does. And we were talking about stuff and she wanted to help with like being in the present moment and stuff like that. But she's like, I don't know if I have enough time for another practice. And I was like, well, you know, I don't think you need a practice because, you know, you, you've got your, you know, you want your basic things. You want to know to clear your mind and take care of your body and all that kind of basic stuff. Um, but I thought, you know, I think that life is the greatest teacher. If you can be present and pay attention, you know, and respond to that and, and contemplate and really just be aware and be present. Life is going to teach you everything that you need to know. But we need to take the, the time to respond and to contemplate. And especially when we're talking about these philosophies, um, you know, what it what does it mean to you? But but don't just accept it and don't just reject it. See where it fits in your own line of thinking. And when I was talking about my friend with it, just focus on the negative. And, you know, for a couple of years, it's just like so depressing to be around. It's, it's, a, you know, it's such a funny guy. I love him. Um, but, you know, I was like, and I was just trying to think and I, and I got in there. I was like, does that make sense? And I was like, well, does this make sense to a child? Would you teach a child this? And you wouldn't. And so if you're not going to teach that to a child, the, the, the chance of it being true or accurate are, are, are not great. So I feel like that's a, a good thing to do as well, because when we see these systems or models or philosophies, when we take that time to contemplate, you know, look at our own world, then we're going to be our own teachers and then we can go apply and see the result you're going to get. And I think that that's an important process for people too, to really just be their own masters, right? To take the idea. Absolutely. Because you have to and that's apply. the discernment. Does it work for you? Like, I know that the books that I write and the workbooks, every one of my books has a workbook, is for me. I do this work for me. I was a person, did not know how to live in this world. When Jesus says, be in the world, not of the world, I did not know how to be of the world, in the world. I didn't know what I was doing here. I didn't get it. I wanted to die on that couch. And so I wrote these rule books for myself. If my students get something, if my kids get something, great but I wrote this for myself. I needed to learn how to live in this world. And Jung says, if you can teach a man to live, then you've done service. And if one person gets one inkling from anything that I write, the TED talk, the value system, the, the spiritual renewal, whatever it is, then I did my job in terms of service, but I first had to save myself. So stop looking for a savior. Absolutely. You're speaking of what Gurdjieff called the fourth way. We're not in the day and age to check ourselves into monasteries and ashrams. Life is our teacher. 
If you can't control the petty tyrant of your emotional response in traffic, well, then meditating is not doing much for you. Like it is the real world practice. So you're absolutely right. How do I show up? The pause, I call that the teenager in my model. My model is very simple. Child, teenager, adult, spiritual adult, and it's a process. The pause is that breath, is that contemplation. It's the process, forget the win, the outcome. It's the process of how am I gonna show up? Which consciousness level? Is this a sword fight? Is this turn another cheek? Do I wanna use my ego? Do I wanna use my will? That space that, that lives between sort of the inhale and the exhale, that's oftentimes called God, that is so important to decide your free will and your choice. And if you're on autopilot because your teacher ta taught you something or you read it in a book and you haven't worked it through, if it's truth to you, then you're just a slave to that. And it's just another savior. So everything you're saying is absolutely on point. And we have to see what resonates with us and make our own path. The, the beautiful thing about the Holy Grail, so King Arthur and, 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 and the Knights of the Round Table, the Holy Grail shows up. The Holy Grail is always a chalice. The chalice is symbolic of, of the form of, of the body, right? And they pick it up and they make a path that they're going to go out into the forest and find the grail. But there's one stipulation. You have to go past an, a paved road. Your road is yours to pave. I can't pave that for you. I can tell you what worked. I can give you some tools and some techniques that worked for me, but I had to pave my own road. And so if you're walking on a paved road, it isn't your road. And that's very scary. And in the hero's journey, it's not until three or four steps in that the hero decides if he wants to cross the threshold. The threshold is an unpaved road. And you may not want to meet your beast and your demons and your hydra and your shadow. And you turn right back around and that's fine. But there is no short answer. This is not something that is five steps and you're done. This is a life's work. This is your, you're crafting your life, your soul, your karma, your next lives. It's, it's, it's everything. And so this idea of steps, I have steps. I help people with steps, but they're forever. I want them to be with me so I could teach them the steps and then move out of the, uh, out of the nest. And now you have the steps. So anything that shows up forever, you have a guide. But this idea that there's a paved road or a right or a wrong, it, it's not. I would say to seekers, make sure they're universal truths. Make sure that they're consistent across traditions and philosophies. Like you said, make sure that they speak to your truth and soul and make sure that it's not just a savior you're looking for because those are definite pitfalls. Yeah, 100%. All that's incredibly accurate. And um, when I was in, in Nepal with the monks, they just uh, talked about like the practice of Buddhism, the practice of kindness and compassion because you have these this model but then you gotta you go out and do it you know what i mean it's like oh well you know i remember reading zen philosophies and it's like okay be in the moment it's like well how am i supposed to do that or you know, <laughs> it's like, uh, kindness and compassion it's like okay kindness and compassion right and go out there and then be mean to someone there's the world gives you the the um the stage to to practice all of these things and if you have tools that work you continue to apply them and in zen it talks about just uh you know how there's not infinite life lessons or or um you know um 
epiphanies is like the same ones that you deepen the one. understanding of. You get one in a lifetime, <laughs> one thread. <laughs> one entire lifetime is one thread, one karma, one story, one. That's it. It's fascinating. That comes from the myth of the fates. The fates weave your fate at the moment of conception. In your entire life, you are weaving this tapestry on that one thread of karma, that one lesson. And it's a part of the, what I do is I do something called the one ingredient theory or stone soup, where I help clients discover that one thread. And it's woven into every story, every painful moment, every experience. One, that's it. And when we strip it back and we realize that every single instance is that one thing, it's amazing. It's so crafted. It's not that complicated. One of the things that I help clients do is eliminate the, the, the noise and the uncertainty. When we're in victim, when we're so caught up in our story, we don't get to that one thread. So I have very clear techniques to move the noise out of the way so that we can get right to the, to the thread. And when you get there, you start seeing, that's what the TED talk is about. The personal TED talk in three questions is boom, boom, boom. Oh, there it is again. There's my thread. There's my thread. There's my thread. And the thread is always your impure thought, your desire, and your low level consciousness that you don't want to accept. And from there, you craft the life to find medicine in that, that you can accept, that you can still love yourself, make good choices, build a life despite your flawed human self. And when we really can love ourselves despite the flaws, then you can get to what I call the 12th truth. The 12th truth is the truth of unity. And that is a choice every single day for spiritual renewal. So once you go through the whole sort of path and you're finally at that state of balance, I feel like I'm not right now, today, at this moment, tomorrow it might change. But at this moment, I feel content, I feel balanced, I feel in equanimity. Every day, I choose to renew spiritually. Three things. I read something contemplative that I just ponder on. Every day I look at my shadow and every day I have a spiritual reverence to, to my practice. One practice. That makes me be in the world, not of the world. That's my spiritual renewal. That's the ongoing work for the rest of your life. You have to choose this path. Once you finally figure out all these kinks, then that is the commitment to your soul. And not everybody chooses that path. This is, happens to be my path. This is my life. Spirituality is my life. It's not for everybody. But that is what you choose at the end of this on your return home. That's why the, the adage is chop wood, get enlightened, chop wood. I'm chopping wood. I'm doing the same thing. I'm in the same house. I'm with the same family. But my enlightenment process is every day I choose to renew this. And it brings me to this movie. Do you know that Adam Sandler movie, 50 First Dates? Yes. Okay. At the, at the end of the movie, after they get married, he puts in a video every morning for Drew Barrymore that gives her a recollection of their life before she even has her coffee, why she's there. Because she wakes up with amnesia. That's what we have to do. Every day we have to put in that cassette and remember everything and choose ourselves, choose our high consciousness, choose free will, choose our spiritual renewal, choose our, our, 
our, our, our, our, our shadow work, our process, whatever that is. That's not gratuitous, but there's a lot before you get there. And the first thing, honestly, is accepting the unchangeable nature. And most people just spend so much time trying to hide what I call FOFO, fear of being found out, that they're desirous, impure thoughts and low level consciousness. And I say, let the cat out of the bag. We're all humans, we all got this. Then we don't have to live in the negative all the time, but now we can move forward to make better choices for ourselves. That will change the world. I love it, I totally agree. And I think that that's you know, a really incredibly powerful framework. So. Um, I, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, when you talk about the spiritual renewal, it just reminds me of, you know, from the physical aspect, I think it's just such a great analogy all the time where if you are super overweight and you eat crappy food, you know, it's going to have to be a daily process. You don't just do a 30 day diet, you know, you eat a great diet and you go to the gym for 30 days. And then guess what? If you, you know, even if you started really, if you're super in shape and you, you change your direction and start eating crap all the time, well, it's only going to take a few months, six months, then you have a whole new body and a whole new way of living. So the spiritual path is a way of, of living. It's a way of life. It's something that you have to renew, like you said, every day or commit to every day. And even in Christianity, which I'm getting interestingly a lot more into because of the law summit that I hosted and you know I've grew up Christian but I guess that made me like I don't want to go down the right. Bible so you know but a lot of uh, you know what I'm learning they say you want to you want to integrate it and, and there's a lot of stories and a lot of quotes in the book that says got to come back each day you got to renew you got to you know you know be a part of this guide and uh, um, you know not the just actual that, Bible is a metaphysical text all of Jesus was an astrologer, a metaphysician, a yogi, a Buddha. I mean, it, it, it was just distorted. And this thing of the renewal, and I love that you use the idea of the body. So I shared with you the Hercules myth of the man-eating mares. Every single day, one of the reasons why Hercules considered he failed that labor, there were 12 labors. So basically, Hercules represents our own journey back home. Home for him was Olympus, the rightful son of Zeus, okay? So that's like God, our father, going back to heaven. So the first labor, according to the spiritual path, not in the order that it's, it, it's written in, in the myths, is that one, the impure thoughts. Every day you have to collect those mares. Every day you have to look at your thoughts. That is something that you'll quote unquote fail at every day. Why? Because you need to renew it daily. The second myth he failed at was the sixth myth where he had to get the girdle of Hippolyte from the leader of the Amazonians and he killed her. And it's a truth of purification. It has to do with the body. This is very, very important. If you do not accept your low level consciousness, your desires and your impure thought, your body is going to suffer because you are going to make everything in your psyche process through the form and you're gonna get sick. The body is the loyal servant to the psyche. I can see someone's body and know exactly what's going on in their war zone in their head. These two are very much related. Clean up your thoughts like the man-eating mares. Clean up your body, which was the second labor he failed at, which was the truth of purification. And what happened was he killed Hippolyte because he failed to listen to her. When he realized what he did, he said, oh my God, I need to purify my bad deed. And he went and he saved someone else, Hestione in the, in the water. That's what we do. We overdrink, we go on a cleanse. We oversex, we go on a cleanse. We overeat, we go on a cleanse. It's a constant purification. 
because we mess up, we go save someone else. That myth is the second myth he failed at. The last truth, so that's truth one on the spiritual path is truth of thought. Truth six is truth of purification. That's mind and body. What's missing is spirit. Truth 12, truth of unity, where he realized that every single day he needed spiritual renewal. Mind, body, spirit. The same concepts apply. And you will not make behavior change stick. I have an MPH. I studied behavior models. Behavior change models do not work. Behavior doesn't matter. Belief matters. If you do not change your belief and transmute your belief and your consciousness, the behavior change will not stick for thoughts, for body, for spirit. And it's all written in every text, in every mythology, in every, in every one of the sacred pieces. They say the same things. That's why when you really pull them back, I say, make sure you can find the same messages because the laws are all there. That's amazing. I love all that. And all of this has been truly phenomenal. And what I really love about it, it's all practical. And I love how you're able to weave these myths and these stories from uh, different uh, spiritual texts and, and times and, and bring the same principles in, in a very clear and concise way. Um, we're going to have to do this again because there's so much we covered. But uh, is there anything that you wish that I had asked or that you want to leave the listeners with before we close the show? Yes, I want to share the personal TED Talk. Yes, if please. nothing else, these three questions will change your life. If the first step on a spiritual path, the truth of thought, is knowing your impure thoughts, right, which links to your desires and your low-level consciousness, the TED Talk is the way in an instant to know. The first question is, does the thought, it, it's a judgment, right? Oh, I don't like that person, whatever it is. Does that thought represent your mother or your father? You get your low-level consciousness, your desires, and your impure thoughts from your parents at the moment of conception. So that the only reason that question matters is to set you up that you're in child. Child doesn't make choice, and child is victim. So the minute you can identify that that impure thought, the judgment you have about someone or what you don't like or what angered you or created conflict is mom and dad, immediately you're like, oh, I'm in child. I'm trying to change what I can't, which is my parents or my biology or whatever. I'm not going to fall into that. The second question is, what don't I like about it? The minute you have a judgment, just find that in yourself, law of correspondence. Where do I do that same thing, past, present, or potentially future? And the third question is, what does it prove about myself? Something negative. If you don't like someone dressed inappropriately, and you do that, sometimes you dress inappropriately, something like that, what does it prove? It proves I'm worthless, it proves I'm not lovable, it proves I'm ugly, it proves I'll never find a partner, whatever it is. Those three questions are your TED Talk, is the background noise, the hum, that is keeping you from making free will, divine will, soul purpose directed choices. So if you can just identify it and go, oh, that's just the talk. That's just the limiting beliefs. That's just my low level consciousness. But I can choose different than that. Then you're on your way to individuation and raising consciousness. 
That's amazing. Well, again, I, I love that. And I've all, I've thought about this idea of, you know, an app. I don't want it because of all the AI tech stuff you're doing now, but imagine you had an app that would do a readout of your thoughts throughout the day and you could analyze it and then it could pick out themes and codes and all this different yeah. stuff. You would learn so much about yourself. So what you're talking about is just this awareness step. And you talked about it before too, is like that breath to then choose, right? And that's really, really powerful. And most people don't do this and they say there's about right. 70 to 90,000 thoughts a day. Most are reped repetitive and most of them are probably negative. So, you know, this is and a, a, a band-aid. It's AID. Awareness is the first step. You cannot transmute and you cannot raise consciousness with just awareness. So the TED talk is the first three steps of the seven gates. The I is the integration you mentioned earlier. Now I'm making a choice. Now I'm taking a pause. Now I'm going to decide what level of consciousness I'm going to show up with. And the D is doing it differently. And who do you need to do it differently from your parents? Because your frame of reference, your limiting thoughts and all the negative nonsense you have going on is your parents' mind. It's not yours. You inherited all that at conception. And then finding a different way to do it, not the opposite of mom and dad, but differently are the, the later steps, what I call the spiritual adult. Most people go to therapy or do this work to gain awareness. It's not sufficient. We at least need integration. We don't do, do it differently or what I call dethrone your parents, it's fine. But integration is actually gonna be the individuation, choosing, taking the pause, the breath. And you need to know what you're thinking. If you don't know what you're thinking, you don't know what you're manifesting, you don't know what you're co-creating with, you don't know why you have a mindset that you have. So all of the new age sort of sticky note stuff doesn't speak about that we're creating from the subconscious, not the conscious. The subconscious is 99.99999 of our decisions. And so if we create from the subconscious, we don't have free will and we're making more karma. So we need to know what we're thinking. It's the first step on any spiritual path. hundred percent. I love it. Well, this has been phenomenal. Where can people find more about your work or your books or whatever you do, uh, where, do, where should people go to find out more? So my website is dryahia.com, D-R-Y-A-H-I-A.com. There are a ton of workbooks on my YouTube. I have hundreds and hundreds of video lectures on metaphysics, astrology, mythology, symbology, you name it. There's so much content there. Um, my books are on Amazon and Audible. And I also have a college called the Hidden Truths College of Metaphysics. I do workshops like tomorrow I'm having a mystical Enneagram workshop. And there's also courses to become a consciousness coach, astrologer, Akashic Records reader, tarot. So there's a ton of classes on metaphysics and all things spiritual on the college site as well. Amazing. Well, this has been a phenomenal episode. I appreciate you. Um, I'm looking forward to diving deeper into some of your work because I love uh, useful models, you know what I mean? So I can learn more about myself. And, and, you know, I think that that's a very noble pursuit for anyone to just want to know themselves because the more we know ourselves, we're going to we'll have a cleaner backyard, right? There's that quote yes. that says, what the world, uh, like, uh, you know, make sure you change yourself or, you know, you know, make sure your backyard is clean first before you worry about someone else's. So I appreciate this show and, and your work and uh, look forward to to staying in touch. Likewise. Thank you so much, Matt. My pleasure. Thanks everyone for watching. See you in the next one. Peace.
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Dr. Francis Yaia. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it far and wide. Help spread the word. Go to mattbelair.com. Become a member. Um, you can do so for free or by donation. If you um, want to just become a member, you can just email me, matt at zenathlete.com, and I'll happily um, help you become a member. You can follow me on Telegram. Um, get on the email list. Telegram is where I do most of my posting. I'm on TikTok now, now, Matt Belair. It's not censoring me, so that's fantastic. I resisted that one for a long way, but you know, Instagram and Facebook, just my stuff doesn't get out there at all, so it's kind of frustrating. Uh, but that's kind of neat. Uh, I'm still on YouTube for some reason, so that's great. They deleted it and gave me it back. Um, and these are just the censorship stories of trying to get this word out to you guys and find you guys very powerful guests and solutions to all the challenges we have facing on it, uh, facing us. If you haven't checked out the Choose Freedom Law Summit yet with myself and Beth Martins, you can go check that out. We have a lot of episodes and community, uh, specifically Canada and the U.S., but we also have uh, connections in Australia, in Europe, and uh, pretty much everywhere for powerful law to understand the law and your rights and how to hold these people accountable, whether they're making your kids wear face masks or you're going to get quit from your, you know, fire. You want to travel, they're going to try and fire from job. There's uh, solutions in community for all that. So check out the Choose Freedom Law Summit. Um, it could be an amazing resource and helpful resource for you. Uh, for those of you guys who um, are interested in wanting to know and live your life purpose, you want to go from vocation to calling, you want to overcome fear and learn how to master your mindset, check out either the Soul Compass, the Quantum Heart Hypnosis series, which is a ton of audios, fear to courage, um, abundance, overcoming self-sabotage, all these different things. And then it teaches you how to make your own uh, program to deliberately architect your reality using the power of your own free will, your own thought and visualization. So check out the quantum heart hypnosis or just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and check out what's available there. There. Um, so that's it. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, confidence, coherence, faith, self-worth, knowledge, power, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.